Welcome everybody to another episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always joined by my co-host Jake Miller. And Jake, it is here. The NFL playoffs are upon us. This is the eve of the first game. How we feeling? Pretty excited. I know my team made it only because they started three and six and they said, fuck you, running the table. Only lost two of their next nine games. And Jordan Love is looking like a top 10 quarterback. And the NFC North is just like, oh, come on. They got another one. Yeah, though, shocker. Cool. You guys get one. You'll only get one Super Bowl out of him and then waste the rest of his potential, just like the last two. Anyway, yeah, my Seahawks did not make it in. Uh, they did win thanks to Matt Prater choking twice. And the Packers ended up winning, though, because the Bears and Justin Fields turned back into pumpkins like we all thought. Even though I held out hope that just maybe he could capture a little bit of magic, at least for one more week, get my Seahawks in. But alas, nine and eight and now without a coach. But we'll get into that here shortly. Jake, let's start things off with our eyes on five recap for week 18, starting off with our first game, which was yours. We both had a really good week this week and or this past week. And Jake, your first game was Texans and the Colts. Houston beating Indianapolis 23 to 19. Pretty close game. Jake, what were your thoughts on this game? Uh, Nico Collins is potentially a num legit number one with CJ Stroud at the helm. And if you actually look at his stats, most people would be like, oh, Nico? Hey, yeah, he probably had a pretty decent year. Uh, 80 catches, so decent on the catch department, nothing too much. Almost 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns. He averaged 16.2 yards a catch. So he was getting a shit ton of yards per catch basis. Dalton Schultz, again, looking like a good safety blanket. And Andrew Beck getting the rare fullback receiving touchdown. You know, this game was good, but... It gave me worry that if Jonathan Taylor can run on this, I'd say almost top 10, if not a top 10 run defense unit, um, they need to shore up their tackling so these 40, 50-yard sprints don't happen. But the Texans' defense didn't get to freaking Gardner Minshew that much, but there was a good amount of pressure on it at least. Minshew looked... Look, Minshew, 13 for 24 and a buck 41, while Stroud, 20 for 26, 264 and two touchdowns. The running game wasn't fantastic, but, I mean, you got good enough results from it. I think, as a Texans fans, you won the division. You guys are your head of schedule, but you're playing with house money right now, so let's see how far you can go in the playoffs. For the Colts, Shane Steichen's a legit head coach. Top three for coach of the year. And he did that without your super weapon at quarterback. So he got you to nine and eight with Gardner Minshew. And Jonathan Taylor was even with you guys for the first five weeks. Yeah, you guys should be excited for the, for, for the future. You could potentially be fighting for the division and a 
top two seat next year. I think that's a little ambitious, but honestly, though, with what we saw and if Anthony Richardson is able to emerge as what we saw in short spurts this year before he got hurt, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Now, Jake, this game really came down to quarterbacks. Now, Jonathan Taylor, 30 carries, 188 yards and a touchdown. And he contributed two catches for eight on the ground, or excuse me, through the air. But Jake, C.J. Stroud is special. We're seeing the birth of, I think, a, I'm not going to say an all-time great, but definitely a great quarterback. C.J. Stroud, on that last drive, he made phenomenal plays. He went seven for seven. And all of them were gotta have it. They were not easy throws. 20 to 26, 264, and two touchdowns. He only got sacked twice, which Jake, I also want to give a big credit to this Texans O-line, which has been missing starters for quite a while. I think the entire season they've been missing anywhere from two to four starters. And the fact that CJ Stroud only got sacked two times really is a sign of good things to come. I think that they could even get better on the O-line. Now, I will say this, Jake, their run game does concern me because Devin Singletary, he's had his moments, but 24 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown, that's not great, especially when your long is for seven. Now, Nico Collins, Jake, we know, we, I don't think we thought Nico Collins was this good. We thought he would be okay, but nine targets, nine catches, 195 yards and a touchdown, 75-yard touchdown to start the game. That's just, it's incredible. And Jake, it also shows you, though, that Nico Collins is C.J. Stroud's most trusted target, and it's not really any close. I mean, you had guys, you had a guy named Xavier Hutchinson, with four targets. Eric Sauber, John Mechie, Devin Singletary all combined for four targets. Even the fullback got two targets, Jake. And look, not too many teams run fullbacks anymore. I mean, the Ravens do, Houston does. It's always awesome to see a fullback touchdown and hey, we got to see one. Now, Jake, I will say this, heading into the playoffs, I think Houston is really sneaky. I think that there is an absolute chance that they make it to the divisional. I don't know if they could beat a Baltimore or a uh, Buffalo, but I wouldn't rule it out with Buffalo. Jake, if this team got the Bills and continue and CJ Stroud is able to continue to play like he's playing even through all the injuries at receiver, O-line, and a few on defense? How wild would it be if he made it to the conference championship? Now, I don't think he'd be able to make the Super Bowl because, to be honest, Baltimore's just on another level from the entire league. But I'm not ruling this team out to make a sneaky run. But for Indianapolis, finishing 9-8, and eight, I'd consider it a pretty good year when you have your quarterback injured. I think, Jake, heading into the offseason, what Indianapolis really needs 
they need to address their receivers. I like Josh Downs. I like Michael Pittman. But you don't really have another good receiver. Alec Pierce, he had four targets with not a catch. He is primarily a go ball specialist, and he does not run anything else. Kylan Granson, Jake, doesn't inspire confidence. I think also they could go for a tight end. Maybe we could see someone like Gerald Everett from the Chargers. He ends up here. Veteran presence, runs hard. Think that would be really good for Anthony Richardson. But Jake, overall, I think that Indianapolis, you could argue, had as good of a season as they could have imagined with a quarterback injury. Oh, yeah, easy. Like I said, the fact that he, Shane Steichen and his team did this with Gardner Minshew, and like I said, they missed Jonathan Taylor for about a third of the year. Um, You have a lot of hope, Colts fans. Indeed they do. But Jake, moving on to my first game, and this was a game that had a little bit of controversy with it at the end, and that is the Falcons and the Saints, New Orleans blowing out Atlanta 48-17. to And Jake, what really was the story of this game wasn't even the blowout. It's what happened after the game, or right at the end of the game, at the one in victory formation, Jameis Winston overrules the coaching Dennis Allen's play call of victory formation hands it off to Jamal Williams to get him his first touchdown of the year. And I'll be honest, Jake, at first I had made fun of Arthur Smith for his outburst. And to be honest, his outburst was pretty bad, but I will agree with Shannon Sharp who I listened to his nightcap podcast with him and Chad Ochocinco. I would have cut Jameis. I would have absolutely cut Jameis the next day because what Jameis Winston has shown, Jake, he's immature and he he's never going to change. This man threw 30 touchdowns and 33 touchdowns and 30 picks in a season. And he ended Tampa's season and his tenure with them with a pick six in overtime. Jameis Winston's a clown. And I think what we're going to see, Jake, I know Dennis Allen got a vote of confidence, but this team doesn't believe in him. They don't. Now, outside of all of those shenanigans, Derek Carr had his best game of the year, 22-28, 2-64, and four touchdowns. And Jake, Rashid Shahid, he's really, I mean, he's just a deep ball specialist. He, Jake, I think we might have a new Deshaun Jackson where he is able to get deep downfield with his speed And he's got pretty sure hands. Three catches for 65 yards and a touchdown off of four targets. And this kid, A.T. Perry. Three catches, 53 yards, and two touchdowns. Did not even hear this guy. I think he's probably, what, their wide receiver four? Maybe their five? 
I mean, he's uh, really he shown up. there four, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's really shown up. And Jake, this game, we'll talk about it right afterwards, uh, after our Eyes on Five. Arthur Smith is gone, but Jake, Bijan Robinson had a hell of a day. 11 carries for 28 yards on the ground. Not great, but how about seven catches for 103 yards and a touchdown? Capped off with a 71-yarder. I think, Jake, Atlanta, if they can get a quarterback, they're going to potentially be a division winner next year. You, I will add on to that. They also have to actually get a coach who knows how to actually use the fucking weapons they have. Yeah, considering you have Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson, and yet Jonu Smith and Tyler Algier got more love. Make that make sense, please. Or, sorry, maybe I'm a fantasy guy. But Jake, what were your thoughts on this game? This game, and I understand where you're coming from with with automatically cutting um, Jameis. Yeah, cutting Mr. 30 for 30. I totally understand where you're coming from. The, the reason I would cut him is because I think that Arthur Smith had a chance to stay. And Saints fans were like, yes, we can deal with another shitty year for the, with this bastard as our opponent. And now it's like, well, shit. Uh, that ain't good. Because if the Falcons can actually get an actual quarterback and an actual head coach who knows how to use their weapons, yeah, division winners, yeah, I can see that. Especially for this shitty-ass division that really seemed like nobody wanted to win. But I think A.T. Perry is going to come in as your wide receiver three next year. Rashid Shahid's going to be like your constant deep threat. Chris Olave has shown that he can definitely be an alpha dog in this league. And Juwan Johnson is showing that he can be a pretty good tight end. So they have weapons. And you can never forget about Taysom Hill being the Swiss Army knife. And with the Falcons, I mean, bye-bye, Mr. Ritter. Uh, Bijan, you said it best. Phenomenal game. Didn't do great on the ground. But, I mean, the Saints' D run D is fucking fantastic. And Bijan just showing his speed with that 71-yarder. And overall, I think that Falcons fans have hope for the future. But I think it all depends most. I think that this team depends more on a head coach hiring than getting the quarterback right. I think so, too. And, Jake, I think what we also are looking at is... This division, I mean, you picked the Falcons at the beginning of the year to win this division. And clearly, well, that didn't happen. They finished 7-10 and 10 for the third straight year. But I would say right now, Jake, if you are a gambler, and I am not, this is not financial advice. I wouldn't be afraid to look at Atlanta Futures to win the division next year. That's all I will say on that. As for the Saints, <clears throat> looking into the draft, I think you look for a running back if there is one in the later rounds. I think also maybe try and get a tackle because 
you have had Ryan Ramchick get hurt pretty consistently this past year. I'd look at that. But Jake, moving Agreed. on to your second game, you had your Packers defeating the Bears by a score of 17 to 9 in Lambeau Field. What were your thoughts? Uh, Jordan Love played phenomenal, 27 for 32, 316 and two touchdowns. I am so happy Aaron Jones is back. We have missed this man. And Jaden Reed, he finished off his rookie year fucking phenomenally. Uh, 64 catches, 793 yards, and eight receiving touchdowns. I will take that every day of the week. Dontavian Wicks being that like late round flyer that the Packers just took. Even he finished pretty good. 39 catches, 581 yards, and four touchdowns. If that is my wide receiver four or even five, I will take that shit. Bo Mel, we talked about him last week. He got a couple of carries in the rushing game and five catches for 62 yards. Again, if my receiver core is Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Bo Melton, and Dontavian Wicks. Super young core. They can only get better. And even without Christian Watson in the lineup, we've still seen Jordan Love be able to throw it deep and throw it to so many different targets. Because Jaden Reed, four catches. Bo Melton, five. Dontavian Wicks, six. Tucker Craft, three. Aaron Jones, five. So, I mean, he's spreading the ball around, doing it effectively. And the v vanilla Joe Barry defense actually contained Justin Fields. That was the big thing me and you talked about last week, is if Fields gets over like 70 yards rushing, Packers are probably going to lose the game. We held them to 27 yards. We held the Bears, which is a very dangerous running a rushing attack to 25 attempts and 75 yards. I will take that. And I mean, we did only gave up one sack to a pass rushing unit. That's actually been quite improved since they traded for Mr. Freak athlete himself, Montez sweat. And we got five sacks on the day. So, I mean, I'll definitely take it. We also averaged 7.2 yards per play, which like, damn, okay. I think the thing about I think the thing about this game that I really love, one penalty for each team. That is it. And third down efficiency for the Packers, seven for ten. I will gladly take that. What did you think about this? Well, I'm actually gonna start where you just finished there. This game really came down to third down. Seven to ten for Green Bay, three for eleven. For Chicago, they couldn't stay on the field to do anything. And when you go three for 11 on third down, yeah, you're probably only going to get 192 yards in total. And Jake, I will say this, though. You think this is a blowout if you look at this box score. 432 yards to 192 yards. You ran 14 more plays. Passing yards, it was a blowout. You had three more yards per play. And not to mention, Jake, you had 24 first downs to 13. What really lets me know, though, the reason why this game was close is the fact that 
and the reason why time of possession was only 31-24 to 28-36 was the run game. Both teams ran the ball 25 plus times, 25 for the Bears, 27 for the Packers. The difference was, Jake, is 124 on the ground for Chicago to 75 in total, like you said. And Chicago also went 0 for 2 in the red zone. You get three field goals, Jake, but you go 0 for 2 in the red zone. You convert those into touchdowns. It's a completely different game. Now, Justin Fields has most likely played his last game in Chicago. 11 to 16, 148 yards, sacked five times. He did rush, like you said, eight carries for 27 yards. But Jake, I think what we're going to see with the Bears, they're more they're more than likely going to get Caleb Williams. That's what I'm thinking. Though I think you think that Drake May or maybe Jaden Daniels might go first. But I'm going to go off the assumption that they do take Caleb Williams. Jake, I'd be worried for this kid. Because I know people say, oh, well, if they're generational, do what, do what Joe Burrow did. Do what, you know, do what C.J. Stroud did. Have we ever seen a good Bears quarterback, Jake? No. Because uh, prime Jake Cutler is probably the best I can think of. And besides that, you'd probably have to go back to the 50s or 60s. Jake, they have never had a 4,000-yard passer in and their Jordan entire Love history. did that in his first starting season. And I would say this, Jake. Jordan Love, I've told you, I've held off saying that this kid is going to be something special. Mainly because of the fact that I can't unsee the first half of the season. But I will say this. This second half of the season and the last sort of seven, eight games that he's played. He's had a couple hiccups, but I have been very impressed. I think he has a very lively arm. We've seen that he can move around a little bit. But what I think the other thing, Jake, that I look at is... He has exactly what Aaron Rodgers didn't last year, which is trust in his young receivers. Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Romeo Dobbs, Bo Melton, Luke Musgrave, also rookie tight end. Jake, the Packers are the youngest team in the league and by far the youngest offense. I think you and I are older than most of these kids on this offense. I The oldest person... Is Aaron Jones at thirty? He's basically. And if you look at, go, go ahead, go ahead. If you look at their receiver core, I think their oldest person in the receiving core is Bo Melton at twenty-four. So I am older than every their starting five and their two starting tight ends. And I'm the same age as Bo Melton. Jake Aaron Jones is basically the caretaker of the daycare. That's how young this roster is. Now, I I will have to at least criti- critique Jordan Love a little bit. He did have a fumble, which may not seem like a big thing, but definitely something you want to avoid heading into the playoffs, especially against a team like Dallas, who we think has a pretty good defense, and they are very opportunistic when it comes to turnovers. But Jake... I mean, you look at your defense, Quay Walker had a sack. 
Carl Brooks, Lucas Van Ness had a sack. Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt. You had 10 tackles for loss. What I would look at, Jake, now I will say one other thing. I don't trust Anders Carlson fully. He went one for two on field goals, which you don't really want, especially when your longest was 25 yards, which I'm pretty sure if I do the math right, Jake, I think that's from like the five. So, or no, sorry. That's probably from the eight. The eight. Yeah, that's from the eight. That's a little concerning, but overall, Jake, I think that Green Bay, it wouldn't shock me if they went up to Dallas and upset the Cowboys. But Jake, moving on to my second game, and we did touch on it at the beginning, Seattle beating the Cardinals, Seahawks win 21-20, to and Jake, this was a game that Obviously, it had implications for the playoffs while it was happening, but because the Packers game did start before it ever so slightly, and there was a combined 13 drives in it, there the game ended, I believe, right as the field goal, the game-winning field goal was being lined up by Matt Prater, which he ended up missing, but they put it in bright letters Packers win. Now, Jake, this is a very interesting thing for me because I told you last week, I didn't really know if I wanted Seattle to win or lose because you lose, you get a little bit better pick. You win, though, you still have a chance for the playoffs. And, you know, pride, you finish with a winning record. Jake, I will say this. I'll start with the game. Gino played pretty solid. What we've become accustomed to seeing with Gino, 16 to 28 for 189 and two touchdowns. Now, Kenneth Walker led the charge in the ground game, 17 carries for 78 yards. And Zach Charbonnet chipped in another five carries for 32 yards. And Gino also got in a little bit, 25 total carries for 138 rushing yards on the ground. But Jake, Tyler Lockett only had four targets. Now, granted, he led the team in or he led the team in receiving yards, two catches for 71 and a deep touchdown. Will Disley, he had three for 46 and another touchdown. Jake, DK Metcalf only had one catch, though, in this game. JSN had three. Even Jake Bobo had a catch. Colby Parkinson had three. Jake. The reason why I bring this up is where does Seattle... I'm going to pose this question to you. Where does Seattle go? Because Kyler Murray, he played extremely well. 22-30 for 262 and a touchdown. James Conner last week had a monster explosion. 27 carries, or I think it was last week. He had had 27 carries for 100. 50 yards and a touchdown and he had four catches for 54 yards through the air and Kyler Murray as always he chipped in some yards but Jake they ran it 38 times for 206 yards and a touchdown the fact that you have Kyler Murray and you ran it almost 40 times showed that you had no fear against this Seattle defense and we're gonna real quick also Michael Wilson 
six catches for 95 yards. He is looking like he could be their number one next year. And Trey McBride, I'm for those of you who play fantasy, I think if you're looking for a tight end, he's definitely going to be a target next season. But Jake, my question to you is this. What does Seattle do? Because you look at Geno Smith, you did pay him, but I don't really look at him as the future. Drew Locke, don't even start. I think, Jake, and I think, I don't know, I think we were texting about this. If I'm Seattle, I would trade DK Metcalf to try and get a first, and then I would try and package that first into trading up and taking Bo Nix. His comp is Drew Brees with a little bit of mobility. And Drew was a decent athlete, but he was not as mobile as Bo Nix. I think you said something about him potentially running a 4-6-40. I, I don't trust Geno, and I think that having a young quarterback for a new coach get his guy in there because Gino would not be the next coach's guy, whoever it is. You have weapons here that DK wouldn't be the biggest loss. I mean, Jake Bobo, he got a decent amount of playing time and you have two solid tight ends in Will Disley and Colby Parkinson and JSN has come on. Jake, what are your thoughts? So I think that you may not even have to Drat, you may you may not even have to trade up to get um Bo Nix out of Oregon because I mean a lot of people are looking at it and saying like because a lot of mock drafts I'm seeing from actual people that are in the league, in the inner circles, hear a lot of shit. They're having Jaden Daniels, Drake May, and Caleb Williams as the only three quarterbacks going in like the top half of the draft. And there are some draft classes I'm seeing where it's only those three quarterbacks the entirety of the first round. They have the other three guys in Penix, Knicks, and McCarthy, McCarthy falling to the second. Now, I think we'll see four or five quarterbacks in the first, but I don't know if you're Seattle if you have to trade up for Bo Nix. Now, if you trade up, it'll probably just be like four or five slots to get him. And I think you keep Gino, have him be the starter for, unless just Knicks or whatever rookie quarterback you get impresses the fuck out of their new head coach and the front office, then start him. And if not, Gino plays for half the season. And when the kid's ready, the kid's ready. You don't have to rush him. You have a decent veteran quarterback. You're still paying 35 mil a year to. And with the DK Metcalf, I'd say a late first, early seconds, what his trade value would be. So talk about the Chiefs. I mean, they're going to have a late first. So perfect for that. I think if you don't trade up and you have used your first round pick on a quarterback, whichever one you want, then use your second first-round pick. I think you either take a tackle or you take a tight end. Because Disley has shown he can't stay healthy. Parkinson's a good number two or three tight end and a good blocker. But I think you need a true tight end at the back half of the first round or in the early half of the second round. 
Because obviously you're not going to get Brock Bowers. He's this draft Kyle Pitts, just a better blocker. But running back, you're set at. I love the Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker combo. Defense, you have good corners and you have good safeties. I think maybe use that second first round pick if we do go with the DK Metcalf trade. Get a pass rusher or interior because you need to get another guy in there to either help rotation or get a true dog in there. But with the game, I think that if it wasn't for the Prater miss, Seattle would have been, I don't think pissed, but disappointed. Gino played good enough, question mark. Yeah. But honestly, at the end of the day, Kyler Murray coming on good in the in these last four or five games. James Conner got over a thousand yards, averaging five yards a carry on in thirteen games, seven touchdowns. So he still has it. Michael Carter is a good change of pace back and a damn good receiving option. And Trey McBride is looking like a top five, top six tight end, so an upper echelon tight end. And Michael Wilson, I don't think he's good enough to be a one. But if you have Rondale Moore and Michael Wilson as your two and three, that's a damn good two and three in my opinion. I And you throw Marvin Harrison Jr. in that mix, whoo, that's a good receiving core for freaking Murray to have. And for their defense, I mean, you didn't get any sacks on a subpar or average best O-line but, I mean, you really don't have pass rushers to really go for with the Cardinals. So, who knows? But, I mean, Seahawks still won. It sucks they didn't make the playoffs, but, I mean, they did decent. Yeah, yeah and, Jake, I do understand what you're saying, but you did touch on something before we move on to the shared game. It is interesting that you brought up potentially taking a quarterback and a pass rusher because what team did that this year? The Houston Texans. And then they filled out their roster with... With veterans. Other, with veterans, underrated veterans, you know, a blocking tight end, you know, a third tackle to rotate. They stacked their roster with depth and free agency and then filled out the rest of it with younger players. Tank Dell was a rookie. And he looked phenomenal. It is something, there is something to be said about what you said. Draft a quarterback, and then if you can get a decent pass rusher, I don't think there's Will Anderson in this draft. No, there But if you can get a solid pass rusher to pair with Daryl Taylor, and you did trade for Leonard Williams, I think Seattle isn't too far off from competing for this division hell jake at one point they were leading the division at six and three it was the second year in the row at one point they were leading the division i'm gonna make a joke for seattle seahawks fans and as one myself and as you are your favorite team yep you don't have a second round pick 
So, Seahawk fans, you don't have to worry about a running back. The bad man can't hurt you. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Jake, don't worry. Pete Carroll's gone. There's not going to be another second round running back. But, Jake, moving on to our final game, the shared game. And this was a game that was for all the marbles in the AFC East, and that is Buffalo beating Miami. The Bills coming away with a 21-14 win over the Dolphins. And, Jake, this game was ugly early on. Like this, it was borderline unwatchable. Josh Allen with two ugly, ugly picks, both in the end zone. One that Eli Apple got a gift, and then we unfortunately had to see him celebrate. And then he lobs one up in the middle of the end zone that basically was a fair catch in the end zone. But even still, Jake, Josh Allen... 30 of 38, 359 yards, two touchdowns, the aforementioned two picks, and he contributed 15 carries for 67 yards on the ground. Now, he did lose a fumble, so you definitely don't want to have two touchdowns and three turnovers from your quarterback. But, Jake, he was their offense because James Cook was pretty much neutralized. 13 carries for only 36 yards, and they brought in Leonard Fournette, he had seven carries, but for only 20 yards. I mean, that it's not something that would inspire confidence. But I will say this, Jake. Isn't it notable that the Bills ran 74 plays to Miami's 47? This lets you know that Buffalo was just chewing up the clock because the Dolphins are just too injured on defense to stop anyone. And not to mention, Jake... Tyreek Hill is phenomenal, finished one yard shy of 1,800 yards. He had seven for 82 and a touchdown in this game. But Jake, Jalen Waddell is so important to this team because without him, this offense looks lost because you can double Tyreek and you can sort of keep the, you can keep the lid on the defense and not let him blow by you. Cedric Wilson, he's a solid three, but he's not a star. River Craycraft isn't. Braxton Berrios is a great returner. Chase Claypool's just there. And Jake, I think if I'm Miami, this is a little bit of looking ahead. I'd look for a tight end either in free agency or the draft. I wouldn't be surprised if they call up Atlanta and try and get Kyle Pitts. But what did I tell you at the beginning of the year? Tight end was going to fuck them. I told you that over and over again. He's like, ah, they got weapons plenty. They don't need a tight end. That's before we found out that Tua only could throw to two guys. But Jake, on Miami's side, Tua, he just, he played bad. Now, I will say this. He didn't get sacked. But 17 to 27 for 173 yards, one touchdown, and he also had two picks, one at the end of the game. But Taylor Rapp, I mean, I was watching the game with some family, and Taylor Rapp knocked down that one ball. And I said, Oh, he bites on everything. He's he jumps everything. Just wait for it. Next play, he jumps that route and picks it off to seal the game. And I was just like, what did I say? Now, Jake, Devon Achan, I think at least potentially in the playoffs, 
or at worst next season, he's going to be something special. 10 carries, but 56 yards and a touchdown. And he had a beautiful 25-yard rushing touchdown. Jake, Devon Chan, I think, is... He has a chance to do what we thought Reggie Bush would do, which is take the league by storm. I mean, 5.6 yards a carry on 10 carries. That's that's electric. Now, through the passing game, he was pretty much neutralized. Only one catch for five yards. But granted, Tua just didn't look comfortable this entire game. Even in that Miami Heat, he just did not look comfortable. And Jake, I think what I really want to look at with this game, like I said, the Bills ran 74 plays. Excuse me, 77 plays to the Dolphins' 48. 29 more plays. That's at least two long drives. And they both had nine total drives. Jake, if you allow a team in a close game to have almost a 39 a 38-22 advantage in time of possession you're not going to win. Now, I will say this. Pretty much all of this hinged on that punt return touchdown by Deontay Hardy which gave Buffalo life because they were dead in the water. But Jake, what were your thoughts on this game? Because I'm very curious. Do you think that the Bills, you picked them to win this game, you think they can make a push for a championship game? It depends on what version of the Bills we get. If we get a Josh Allen that's going to be a turnover Josh Allen, they might just be one and done. Or maybe divisional at best. If Josh Allen can play consistent, good ball, and they can run the ball, he doesn't have to be the primary runner, and his weapons just do what they did like they did in this game, Super Bowl's not out of the question. Because Allen is that talented. But he has to play very well because of he doesn't, they don't have the stars to back him up anymore of the injuries they have taken and because of that if okay so if you had matt milano in there and you had some of your secondary pieces back trade a white yeah if they had tradavius white and a couple other pieces and if von miller could actually you know beat up o-lineman and not his baby mama uh be better for that uh but I think if he can play, if he can limit to like two or three turnovers the entirety of the postseason, he it, they can go far. It just depends what version of, it's literally going to be what version of Allen are we going to get? Are we going to get the clean, consistent one? Or are we going to get the turnover-prone one? Because we've seen him have stretches this year where he looks fantastic. But we've also seen stretches where it's just like, what the fuck are you doing what are you seeing here and with the dolphins um this team is a shell of themselves because of the injuries they have sustained i mean shit you're down your second best corner 
You're down one of your safeties. You're down three of your pass rushers. And you're down your star linebacker. So they've been fucked by injury. And I would love to have this team be fully healthy because if they were fully healthy, they would challenge the Ravens. They would challenge the Chiefs. But they can't stay healthy. It's like the Ravens finally have a healthy year. And we saw what happened. They're fucking fantastic. And I think Dolphins got that injury bug from them. And it's like, well, have fun. But before we go to our Black Monday stuff and information, I just wanted to look up what um, Devon Achan's uh, average was per rush this year. 7.8 yards a carry was his average. He and had how many carries did he have? 103 carries for 800 yards. And that's in a limited role. He had three games where he averaged more than 10 yards a carry. One of them obviously being the Bills. One of them being the Broncos 70-point shootout. And one being the Giants. He had three other games where he averaged more than 5.5 yards per carry. That's just, and that goes to what I was saying. I think that an off season for him, because Jake, he actually entered the, he entered the season hurt. They did not mm-hmm, have him at did. the start of the year. So I'm very curious what it'll be like for him to have an actual off season of practice and not just rehabbing injury. But Jake, exactly. Moving away from this, like you said, we are going to get into our Black Monday reactions, and we're going to start things off with the one that happened at 12.01. And Jake, we're going to try and keep this short because we do have all the playoff games to talk about as well. But Arthur Smith fired by the Falcons, like I said, at 12.01. Jake, this had to happen because the team, in my opinion, had given up on Arthur Smith. And he didn't use his stars, like at all. Drake London and Kyle Pitts were basically invisible for large stretches. And you had Tyler Algier basically being used as the lead back or the leader of the committee with Bijan Robinson. Now, Bijan still finished with a good year because of his talent. But, Jake, when it comes to Arthur Smith, I mean... In three years, he finished 7-10 and every single year. I understand when he got hired, he was coming off having Derrick Henry, and it was thought that if he had a good running back and maybe he had a decent quarterback, he could do something. But in my opinion, if you're going to hitch your wagon to Desmond Ritter or Taylor Heineke, I don't think you understand quarterback, especially when... You could have drafted a quarterback last year. I mean, Jake, they had a chance, I'm pretty sure, to take. I mean, who who would have been available? I'm trying to remember who would have actually been available. Because, granted, quarterbacks did go pretty quickly. I don't know. I, In my opinion, Arthur Smith needed to be fired, and he was. But, Jake, what do you think about Arthur Smith's firing? 
You know, I think it was bound to happen when I heard like two thirds of the way through the season, Arthur Blank, the owner for the Falcons, said like, "Oh, he it, he's pretty safe. He's not too much on the hot seat." Thinking like, "Oh my God, we're gonna get another year of this prick." But thankfully, Arthur Blank pulled his head out of his ass and realized he we need to get him the fuck out of here. I think the organization losing to the Panthers this season was probably the best, like, spiritual win you could get. Because that was probably the game that Blank said, we lost to this team. Yeah, your ass is gone. So I think it was very much needed. And it, I mean, shit. I think the players are happy that the careers could potentially be saved. That... You, they're like, damn, we can finally hopefully get a guy that can use us right and we can kick ass. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think that's exactly what it was, Jake. That loss to Carolina ended up being a blessing in disguise for those players because it led to the firing of Arthur Smith. Jake, we're going to also then move on to one that I feel like we were a little bit surprised by and then with the reports coming out with it being a power struggle, it makes sense then, I guess. But Jake, we saw Mike Vrabel get fired after six seasons. He went 54 and 45, three playoff trips. He won the division, I think, twice. And he had an AFC championship game appearance. He actually did secure a one seed. And they sacked Burrow nine times in that game, just ended up losing it due to Ryan Tannehill turnovers. But Jake, what were your thoughts on Vrabel getting fired? Vrabel getting fired surprised me because I thought, like, you're not going to be able to get a much better head coach than him at this moment because, like, you're good, but... You need to get a receiver. Derrick Henry's probably out, so you're going to need a running back unless you believe in the rookie, which, I mean, shit, the rookie running back did do pretty good this year, so I could definitely understand that. You have some pieces on defense in Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry. Your secondary is semi-young. And you've got almost $80 million in cap space, and you have a, the, the seventh overall pick. And you have a quarterback you can believe in with Will Levis. Get some O-line. Get a receiver for whoever comes in there next as your head coach. And I think they need to move away from a defensive-minded head coach like Vrabel was and get an offensive-minded. Now, whether they do that, I don't know. But I think they need to move more to a passing system than a running first system type of head coach and i mean if you wanted a guy that could develop a hire would be dave canales out of the buccaneers oc because i don't think you're going to get ben johnson he's too high profile and canales i mean he had baker mayfield coming back from the potentially last stop of his career and now he's looking to get a payday because he put in the best year he's ever had as a pro. And I'm thinking like, okay, you did that with Baker. Let's see what you can do with Levis. But 
I think that that's my kind of situation. Like, there's pieces to work with, and you can do a lot, but I don't know how desirable that job is going to be compared to the others. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I do think that because of a power struggle, the coach will usually lose that if the GM is more in tight with the owner, and it seems that was the case with Rabel. Jake, I think Rabel's going to be a very popular coaching option. I think that if Harbaugh does not go to the Chargers, he may, say he goes to Washington or he actually stays at Michigan, which I think is really, really unlikely, but there have been rumblings that he is going back. If I'm the Chargers, my next pick is Mike Rabel. Because what we've seen is he's been able to establish a culture. He's been able to establish toughness. And I think that's what the Chargers need. Because it's not a rebuild. You have Justin Herbert. You have young, talented quarterbacks with defensive head coaches. We've seen them win Super Bowls. We've seen it with uh, Seahawks. Pete Carroll and Russ. We've seen it with Brady and Belichick. And Jake, we're seeing it right now. John Harbaugh, he's not necessarily a defensive head coach. He's a special teams head coach. But even still, he leans more defensive. And Lamar Young, explosive, electric quarterback. I think that Mike Vrabel would be the best choice there. Because... You do have some cap cleanup that you have to do, which I think they'll probably end up moving off Cleo Mack, Derwin James. Maybe they try and trade Bosa. I don't know. But, Jake, I think Rabel, if if I'm the Chargers, he's second on my speed dial, first being Jim Harbaugh, because they need, I think, a veteran head coach and they need to stop hiring assistants. I know defensive head coach, you'd rather have an offensive guy with Justin Herbert, but I think Vrabel is an exception. Now, Jake, moving on to this one, we had Pete Carroll for the Seattle Seahawks. Pete stepped away after 14 seasons. Now, it is rumored that... Uh, or. According to Pete Carroll, non-football people made the decision to move him out of the head coaching spot. And according to Jody Allen, it was an amicable um, parting. But I don't believe that if what Pete's saying is true, I think he still wants to coach. I wouldn't be surprised if he does coach more. But Jake, I think this is going to be something that we haven't seen in Seattle in a very long time since Mike Holmgren. I think we might end up seeing a offensive head coach in Seattle. And if I'm Ben Johnson, I look at that job because you could potentially draft your own quarterback. You have weapons. You have two good backs. Your tight ends are solid. Nothing special. The O-line, your two tackles, while oft injured, they are still extremely talented. Maybe fill out the interior a little bit stronger. And then on defense, I think they just needed a new voice. I mean, they're young, but Pete Carroll's a motivator. And 
after you hear the same stories four or five times, it's going to be difficult to not tune it out. And I think that's what this defense did. I, I look at this, Jake. If I'm Seattle, I try and get Ben Johnson. I don't look at Harbaugh because of the fact that if Pete does evolve into this advisory role, John Harbaugh is not going to go there because he and Pete don't like each other at all. That's that's oil and water. But Jake, if I'm Seattle, I try and get Ben Johnson. I wouldn't be afraid to call Mike Vrabel. I wouldn't even look at Arthur Smith, Ron Rivera, anyone like that. But what do you think? I agree with you for Seattle. If they do go with a defensive head coach, I would call it Vrabel, honestly, because I think you need to have more of a... This is a unit that's so used to having that elder statesman's coach. So could a rookie head coach come in here and do great? Of course. I think they could do fantastic. Like you said, Ben Johnson would be amazing here. Um, But if you're going to stick to the defense, I think you need to have that veteran because that's what they're used to. And Vrabel would be my number one hire if you're going to go for a defensive. For offensive, Ben Johnson would be really good here. You can probably, you have weapons to work with. You have a solid O-line. And you have a decent, you have a quarterback that you can work with for right now. I mean, he made Jared Goff look from chicken cell. He made him look from chicken shit to chicken salad if, after he got traded. So, I mean, you can work with Gino. And we saw what he did with Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. And... Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet are a similar type of backfield. Like, they're both slash and bash backfields. They don't have the receiving capability that Jameer Gibbs has on that running back squad, but you have good enough. So, I mean, it would work. And get a quarterback in the first or second round and have at it. You made Jared Goff look good, like I said earlier. You could work with... Gino for half the season, not a full year, and let the, let the kids sit. So, I mean, I could see this being a really good one. You have a solid culture. You have a GM that's good and who will work with you. It's not going to be a power struggle. So, I mean, you can easily do it. Exactly. John Schneider, we've also seen that when Pete has been hands-off the last couple years with the draft and has let John Schneider actually do his job We've seen that we've gotten some incredible players. I can say we as a Seahawks fan, Devin Witherspoon, Reek Woolen, those two tackles, Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. You have players that you can build with, and if you get a quarterback in here, I don't think they're a quarterback away from a Super Bowl, but I think they're a quarterback away from being like I said, a potential division winner and a fringe contender. But Jake, we have a couple more here. Uh, we'll save the biggest one for last. Uh, Ron Rivera, he was fired from the Washington Commanders 
after four seasons. He did win a NFC East title, but that was the year that literally everyone in the NFC East finished with a negative win percentage under 500. He won it with a seven and nine record. Now, Jake, what were your thoughts about Rivera getting fired? Because I'll be honest, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised either. I mean, you have new ownership in there who wants to make it their own. And I think even if um, Snyder had stayed, I think Rivera would have been fired anyway. But just getting the new ownership in there and exciting the fan base for something new and different. Yeah, I think he was going to be gone um, unless they made a deep playoff run, which I didn't see with this team. But, I mean, the Commanders are a team you could easily be great with. You have Sam Howell. I think he showed flashes, but I don't think he's going to be your long-term quarterback. He could be a really good backup. You have some pieces on defense, but you're going to have to get pass rush. Your weapons are totally fine. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, and Curtis Samuel, and you also have Brian Robinson Jr. in the backfield? Fuck yeah, you can work with that. The offensive line is shaky, but you can work with that. You could easily improve that. And I think a tight end is like the only pure weapon you need. You also have 86 million in projected cap space, which is the most in the league. You have the second overall pick coming into the strap with two potentially generational type talents at quarterback, and you're guaranteed one of them. And the freaking team has already done great for their front office. They have something that we were kind of, I don't know how you felt about it, at least I was surprised, um, having former Golden State Warriors GM Bob Myers to help with the rebuild. But, I mean, helping with the rebuild, I could see him doing great. He's not the main GM, but he's going to be a guy who can definitely help. And we both like their GM hire assistant GM from the Niners, you're coming from a sound structure and a sound organization. Dude, you can work with that any day of the week. I think you have what it takes to do a winning culture and a winning roster, which I'd never thought I'd say about the commanders. Well, I mean, you have to remember, Jake, in the 70s and 80s, the Washington at that time, they were called the Redskins. But the Washington football team, they were... A dominant force. You had Joe Gibbs and the Hogs. You had John Riggins running over people, winning Super Bowls. Now, Jake, I do think it is notable they did look to hire, and I do believe they have hired assistant GM from the Niners, Adam Peters. He he learned under John Lynch, former player. And he has seen the collaboration between him and Kyle Shanahan. And now he's going to be able to bring that in with Bob Myers. Like you said, former Golden State Warriors GM. The owner, Josh Harris, knows him very well from both their times working in the NBA. And Jake, they also you also have Magic Johnson in that ownership group. And they also brought in former Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman, to also aid in this collaborative effort to find a new head coach. What I look at, Jake, I think Harbaugh should go here. 
I understand what we were talking about with the Chargers. I think that this could potentially be a better job than the Chargers because you get a young quarterback. He scouted Jake. He's he scouted and, and tried to recruit Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, all the quarterbacks, all the players that he has got, all the players for the next two years, he knows who can play because he recruited most of them, mm -hmm. whether they went to him or not. We're, and so he has this sort of Pete Carroll advantage and Jimmy Johnson advantage like they had when they shifted from college to the NFL. You get a top up pick that you get your franchise quarterback. You have 86 million in cap space, so you could go buy players that you need. And Jake, this division, I know people are saying, oh, the division's tough, Philly, Dallas. Are we sure that Philly is going to have their same head coach? If Sirianni flames out against the Bucks, I think he could be gone. I think Mike McCarthy, if they get embarrassed by the Packers, he's gone. And mm -hmm. I think, Jake, with that, if both NFC East leaders get bounced and they're with new head coaches, I'm not ruling out the possibility that Washington could at least take a step that most people probably wouldn't expect a year early and maybe push for a division. If Harbaugh goes there and he gets the quarterback that he believes that he can mold to be the future. Also, Jake, another thing, location. He's near his family. He is a big family man. His mom and dad are there. His brother is in Maryland with Baltimore. It just makes so much sense. If I'm John Harbaugh, I go there. If I'm Vrabel, I consider it. If I'm Ben Johnson, I take the call, absolutely. But Jake, moving on to the last one we're going to talk about, the biggest one, and it happened on Thursday. The New England Patriots mutually agreed to part ways with head coach Bill Belichick after 24 seasons. And Jake... You and I both kind of knew that Belichick would probably be on the way out. I think you and I had a feeling because things just felt off with the Patriots. And we were kind of, it didn't seem like he was really committal to them. I think, Jake, Bill Belichick is going to coach somewhere. And I listen to, I listen to different sports shows. And usually I don't think they're going to be right. I do think that the most interesting place that they floated was the Eagles. If Sirianni does get fired, he flames out and gets fired. Bill can go there. He's going to have a quarterback who we look at Jalen Hurts. He's probably the most presidential quarterback we've ever seen. You have a good back in DeAndre Swift. You have stud receivers. You have a solid tight end in Goddard. The O-line while aging, he, if you think about New England, they always had a good O-line. Mm -hmm. And the defense, while it is older, Bill Belichick knows how to coach defensive backs and safeties. He knows how to get corners and safeties to play well. 
I think Jake, and also, Bill's not going to be able to have ultimate power. We've seen Howie Roseman's track record. He's a fantastic general manager, and I think there would be a more collaborative effort there rather than Belichick holding all the power. If I'm Bill, I look at Philly as a strong candidate to potentially end up firing Sirianni and signing Bill. But Jake, what do you think? I could definitely see it. I think the betting odds right now are for Bill Belichick to go to the, if I remember right, I think it was the Chargers, which both teams do make sense. Sirianni, I think, is kind of a, I don't think it's a long shot for him to get fired if he gets embarrassed. I can see it happening easy. But I think he, since he got to the Super Bowl last year, and I think he's going to get a one more year grace period or at least half the season. So I'm thinking like, I could see it happening, but I think it's a lower shot. But I think he's going to look at the Chargers situation, look at Justin Herbert, look at the young offensive line they have, look at the receivers, and look at a strong, like I said, aging defense. But you can work with that defense. The biggest situation with the Chargers is like, do you really want to go to that team because of their cap space? They're 40 mil over the cap projected right now. And they got four guys that are taking up like 110 mil. So you're going to have to do some interesting cap maneuvering or cutting with that. But I mean, Belichick, I think he gets free reign of whatever team he wants almost. I, I think the market's going to be a lot smaller than you might think, Jake. And the biggest reason why is looking at, and the reason why Philly also makes sense, Jake, is look at the coaches they've moved off of. Andy Reid went to, what, I think five straight NFC championship games, moved off him. Chip Kelly, 10 and 6, 10 and 6, and then gets fired during the season. Doug Peterson comes in, wins a Super Bowl, makes it to the playoffs, and then is fired. Sirianni yeah, he made it to the Super Bowl, but this team is a far cry from last year. And what we saw is Shane Steichen was the real head coach, in my opinion, of the Eagles. And Jonathan Gannon was the real assistant head coach. Sirianni was just a puppet because we've seen both coordinators and we leave and we've seen that Sirianni cannot do anything. But Jake, moving away from our Black Monday, we're going to move on to our Eyes on Six. Because Jake, we're going to be talking about every single playoff game. You have three, I have three. What is your first? So my first is going to be my Packers heading to Texas in Arlington and taking on the Cowboys. Kind of bit of a revenge match for Mike McCarthy, being this is his former team. But I think that the Packers match up well against the Cowboys when you look at it on paper, because Packers can score points. So 
it really is going to be like if the Cowboys start off firing early and often and taking advantage of Joe Barry's vanilla defense, there is a chance that I don't think my Packers will be able to keep up with that. And if you look at the better defense, I mean, I'd easily say the Cowboys have a better defense and Dan Quinn's a much better defensive coordinator than um, Joe Barry. So personnel-wise, Packers stack up well. And if you compare coach to coach, uh, I'll, I'll ponder this question to you really quick. Who would you rather have for clock management? Mike McCarthy or, or LaFleur? To be honest with you, I think I would lean more LaFleur. And the only reason why is because of the fact that we saw Mike McCarthy with a lead against Detroit chuck it deep when they had one timeout left and it stopped the clock and the Detroit Lions should have won that game. Mm-hmm. But I think if it comes down to where it's going to be like a few plays per half that are going to determine this game, like the pivotal ones going forward on fourth, kicking a field goal, or just punting it. Especially with clock management. If it's a close game, I'm going to give the edge to the Packers because LeFleur is a better head coach and better with this time management and personnel decisions than Mike McCarthy. Just Mike McCarthy has a better roster at this moment and a better defensive coordinator. So... If the Packers can keep up and get a couple key stops, I'd say Packers have a good shot of winning. But if this turns into a shootout, my Packers don't have the firepower at this moment with that young receiving core uh, to hold off against this Dallas Cowboys team. Well, Jake, I think this is a game that could be... I think the way I look at it, Jake, is this game could come down to just plain and simple to quarterbacks. We've seen Dak Prescott play at an MVP MVP caliber level, but at the same time, Jake, a lot of the wins that you look at Dallas has at home, the only real quality wins would be what Seattle, I guess Philly, but outside of that, not really many. I think this is a team, Jake, that If they were on the road, without question, we would be taking Green Bay in Lambeau. Oh, easy. The only reason why this is at all a debate is because Dallas is at home and they've averaged, what, 40 points, just about 39, and they've averaged 21 less points on the road. Jake, when I look at the Packers, I like their receivers against this Packers secondary. Now, Stefan Gilmer's a future Hall of Famer, and Deron Bland, he led the league in picks. But when I look at Jalen Reed, I think that he's a fantastic matchup against Deron Bland. I think if you put Jaden Reed on those double moves, we know that Deron Bland loves to bite on those underneath routes to try and take it back for a pick six. That's why he set the record for pick sixes. I think double moves will be open to Jaden Reed. If Christian Watson plays, I like his odds of being able to get deep. 
Jake, with Dallas, my biggest fear for them is who do they throw to outside of CeeDee Lamb? Because we've seen Jake Ferguson have monster games and also completely disappear. I think that when I look at the Dallas offense as a whole, they can't run the ball. Mike McCarthy has terrible, in my opinion, terrible clock management. And I think that what I'm very fearful of, Jake, is if Dak Prescott turns the ball over, can he, can they recover from it? Just plain and simple, because I don't know if they can. Everyone knows in the playoffs, turnovers mean double. They are, they're brutal. And they're the one thing that you cannot overcome in the playoffs I think if it's going to come down to a turnover battle between the two and if Green Bay wins the turnover battle, I think they win. Now, Dallas is favored by seven. A lot of people would tell you to take Dallas to cover that. I don't know if I would even touch this game just because of the fact that there is such a thing as the Packers, you know, backdoor covering this, but... It's going to be a really close game. I don't think this is going to be a blowout like a lot of people think. But Jake, moving on to my first game, it is going to be the Cleveland Browns heading to NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas to take on CJ Stroud and the Texans. And Jake, this is going to be a game that I don't think anyone really expected. And I'm going to surprise you, Jake. I think one thing that I really look at in this game is the kicking game. Cleveland's going to be without Dustin Hopkins. And we've seen that the kicker that Cleveland has as their backup, he's not all that Kate great. Kate York, right? I think it is Kate York. He hasn't been fantastic. He's been solid, but he he can miss. I think when I look at this, Jake, there is a strong chance that we will see field goals kicked a lot in this game because we've seen that Houston's defense can be very stout, and we know that Cleveland's defense has been elite. Now, they will be without Grant Delpit, who's suffering with a groin injury. He's been a really good safety. But I think, Jake, another thing you have to worry about is Denzel Ward's questionable for this game and if you don't have him you're gonna be really struggling i think to cover nico collins and he could go for another breakout game to start the playoffs and if you're houston i think that you're gonna have to try and contribute or concentrate on getting a balance in the run game because you want to slow down this Cleveland pass rush. Miles Garrett, Jake, he's a game wrecker, and he he could absolutely knock C.J. Stroud out of the game, knock him out of a rhythm. And we've seen C.J. Stroud has been very careful with the football. He finished with 23 touchdowns and only five interceptions. But I do worry... If Cleveland can force Stroud into a couple mistakes, 
we've seen Jake January Joe Flacco is a thing. When he gets into the playoffs, he's a different quarterback entirely. He basically goes Super Saiyan. I think, Jake, the kicking game could be big, but this could also be the highest scoring game of the weekend. What do you think? Um, You mentioned Miles Garrett. I totally agree with your points, but one thing you have to look at, he hasn't been getting home, getting sacks the, these last few games. I saw a stat that in the last seven games, he's only had one sack. Don't get me wrong. He's still causing pressures and getting double teams constantly affecting how other guys are going to rush the quarterback. But Garrett needs to get home and cause a fumble or two on Stroud because Stroud isn't phased easily. And because of that, you're going to have to hit him extremely early and very often to get him shaken. And I don't even know if they can. But I think this game is going to be like, <clears throat> who's going to cover Nico? Because you're probably going to have JOK or Sion Takitaki be on Schultz. Nico, it's kind of like, okay, Ward is going to be either in the game, but... Not 100% because he's injured. Martin Emerson's a good cornerback. And <clears throat> I love their other cornerback as well. But if Ward's not in there, you're not having your best corner on their best receiver. Which you kind of need. And you talked about this earlier when we were doing our recap for last week's games for Week 18. The Texans have been able to do a lot of shuffling with their O-line with up to four key starters out at one point. And Stroud hasn't been hit that much because of how this O-line has been. Most of their O-line is healthy right now. So let's see what happens. I could see this game being very interesting. The kicking game you brought up, that is a very good one because Kaimi Fairburn um, for the Texans is a very good kicker. But if the Cleveland Browns have to rely on the leg of Cade York, they might just be SOL. Very true. And Jake, now I'm looking at the line here. All of our lines that I'm looking at are provided by ESPN Bet. I'm seeing Cleveland is favored by one and a half. If I were a betting man, I would take the Texans and the points because in my opinion, I do think I'm getting the better quarterback in Stroud over Flacco. I wouldn't be surprised though, if either team won, but Jake, let's move on to your second game. So my second game is going to be the Rams versus the lions. This game is like a Script writer's wet dream. You have two quarterbacks that used to play for the other team. Stafford led the Rams to a Super Bowl and did what Goff couldn't. And Goff has looked very good under the Lions in spurts. So, um, I think that the Lions are going to be very happy that Stafford 
who's I think they still consider him a lion in some regard. So it's like it's I wouldn't even call it a revenge game. This is more like a homecoming game, in my opinion, I think. So I think that this game could be interesting because you have a two solid O-lines going against two good pass rushing units. But I think Goff is going to be under duress a lot because the interior for the Lions has been suspect, especially their guards. And Kobe Turner has been hot since he's actually been getting starts. And Aaron Donald is still Aaron Donald. So that interior pocket is going to collapse a lot, I think, on Goff. And that is the quickest way to have him panic and throw crappy balls or straight-up interceptions. So, and I don't know if they're going to be able to shake Stafford enough because you, obviously we love we are Puka Nakua lovers. Puka's fantastic. Cooper Cup's going to be healthy. Higby should be healthy for this. You have Kyron Williams, who's a fantastic running back. And it's kind of like, okay. Um, I don't know who's going to win this. Because I think it's going to be close for both regards. Oh, this is going to be, I think, Jake, I think this is going to be the best game of the weekend. I think, Jake, when you look at the Lions, this is a team that, we all know should be 13 and four, but regardless of that, I think when I look at this game, Jake, Sam Laporta's being questionable looms very large. Now you have Amon Ross St. Brown who finished fourth in the league, or excuse me, third in the league in receiving yards. Puka finished fourth. And Amon Ross St. Brown, Jake, neither of us even realized that he finished third. And he was just stacking 100-yard performances like it was nothing. I think, Jake, Amara St. Brown's going to be a massive key for this because if Sam Laporta can't go, the onus will fall mainly on him in the passing game because I don't trust Jamison Williams. Do you? Um... I trust him enough to get two or three deep balls in a game. But besides that, he has to develop more as an overall receiver before I can totally trust him. I don't trust him at all. I think his hands are too inconsistent, and I think his main route is the go ball. I think he's similar to what we talked about earlier with Alec Pierce. Now, I think... Josh Reynolds, if he's playing, that can at least help a little bit. We've seen Josh Reynolds be a familiar target for Goff. I believe he was with Goff when he when they were both with the Rams. And Jake, I think if the Lions are able to run the ball against this young Rams defense, this could be a game that they could actually run away with. But the Rams with Kyron Williams... Jake, Kyron Williams came out of nowhere. We heard rumblings about him as a rookie potentially taking over for Cam Akers being that number one guy, but it never really blossomed because of injuries. And then we saw him week one, and we, you and I were both like, who is this guy? And similar to that was Puka Nakua. 
who, like I said, finished fourth in receiving yards in the entire league as a rookie. Looks like I'm going to be having to get that jersey. But, Jake, when I look at the Rams, I think that this is Stafford's sort of homecoming and a game that I think he needs to win for himself. I don't look at this as a legacy, prove it, anything like that. I think Stafford wants and needs to win this game to prove that he was right to leave. Now, he loves Detroit and they're going to they're not going to boo him. I think he's going to get a ton of cheers. But he did leave and it was mutual, but he did want to leave and I think that for Stafford, if he's able to win this game, I think it would be the ultimate validation of his decision to ask out of Detroit, especially because he's not showing up with just any old offensive weapons. He's got Cooper Cup, Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua. I mean, we've seen Tutu Atwell play well, Jake. We've seen Demarcus Robinson at times explode for big plays. We've seen Tyler Higbee be a consistent presence at tight end. Their offensive line has held up extremely well, better than I think most people would have thought. And Jake, I also want to say Aaron Donald, I don't know if he's ever going to age out of being good because the man just, he he's getting double or triple teamed. I wish we could see the amount of sacks that he was responsible for without being the one getting sacks because if not for him this defense which is primarily kids I don't think would be as good as it has been now Detroit is favored by three Jake I look at that as sort of home favorite gets three so you look at it that way and it's essentially a pick em game and I think that's exactly what it should be I agree. I don't really know who you'd pick in that situation. But Jake, moving on to my second game. And this is a game that for some reason they decided, hey, let's put it on a streaming service. That is the Dolphins heading to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. And it is streaming exclusively on Peacock for some reason. But Jake, this game is going to be cold. It is expected this game, I'm looking right now according to AccuWeather, Jake, negative three. The coldest game Tua has ever played in, I believe, is 29 degrees. And he lost. Now, Miami, you do you do luck out in the fact that Tyreek Hill, he played up here for years. So you don't have to worry too much about him in the cold. But I just think, Jake... When I'm looking at the Dolphins, we saw injuries cost them the number one seed and then also the two seed and the AFC East. You do have to ask at some point, are the injuries overcomable? Because you're going to be without Xavier Howard. Javon Holland is questionable. Raheem Mostert's questionable. And Jalen Waddle's questionable. I look at this, Jake, and I say this to say this. If Miami loses this game, 
I'm going to say this right now. I think Tua might be gone. And it's not because I don't think Tua is a good quarterback. But I think that when you get to December, January, February football, the weather plays such a role and you need a guy with arm strength to be able to slice through the wind, get the ball to his receivers. And I just don't know if Tua can play that kind of game. Now, for Kansas City, Jake, their real question is, can anyone get a catch for them? Now, Kadarius Tony and Justin Ross are both hurt. Justin Ross, a bit of a loss. Kadarius Tony, hopefully he's been hitting the jugs machine, but I, I'm i not 100% sure on that. But Jake, Mahomes has thrown the most picks he has ever thrown in his career in a season. And he has not looked like himself for stretches in this game or in this season. Now, Travis Kelsey, he's aged. We could see him age throughout this season. He's not the same, but he leads the entire playoffs. I believe of all time in, I believe receptions. And when I look at that, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Travis Kelsey have an eight-catch game, have a big game here. He's at home. Taylor Swift's probably going to be there cheering him on, so he's got his woman cheering him on, and you can't tell me that that doesn't make a difference. And, Jake, I think we've seen this happen in basketball where you have players sort of lollygag and sort of sleepwalk their way through a season, and then when the playoffs come they flip a switch. I don't know if this entire Kansas City Chiefs team can flip a switch, but I'm not ruling it out for Travis Kelsey. But what do you think? So I think Kelsey is, I think you said it best. I think he's going to have a monster game or he should. If you look at all the analytics, if you look at who is going to be playing for the Dolphins fully healthy, because Andrew Van Ginkle, their Swiss Army knife outside backer. He is banged up. Javon Holland. He's banged up. Jerome Baker. He's banged up. So your top three guys that can cover a big body tight end that's great at reading zone coverage are all either out or banged up. So, and I mean, you could put Ramsey on him. But I will want Ramsey on Hill playing a deep corner. But I mean, if shit or goddamn, I still think for some reason I thought Hill was on the Chiefs still. Sorry. I know, right? So, I mean, honestly, if you did put a tie, if you did have Jalen Ramsey on Travis Kelsey, that's about your only active matchup for a fully healthy player going against Travis Kelsey. Which, I mean, we've seen Ramsey go against big body tight ends before who are athletic as hell. And he succeeded in shutting them down for the most part. And I mean, he's big. Ramsey's not a pushover. He's a big corner. He can handle big tight ends. So, I mean, I can see that being the thing. My thing is, um, who's going to stop fucking Pacheco? (laughs) That's my thing. Because 
they're probably going to avoid Christian Wilkins and Zach Seiler like the plague. So avoid them. That's only two players you have to worry about out of, out of an entire fucking defense stopping your angry fucking running back who runs like he's on a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. So honestly, I think the Chiefs should win this. One, because of the weather. Two, because they're the more healthy team. And three, Steve Spagnuolo is a fucking madman on de- as a defensive coordinator. Exactly. And I think that Steve Spagnuolo, Jake, you bring him up. This is his time of year where he shines. And I would not be surprised if he is studied week 15, 16, 17, like crazy seeing what this Miami team looks like without Raheem Mostert and Jalen Waddle, And he's already figured out a way to pressure Tua and get him backpedaling and control the middle of the field, which we've seen Tua has a penchant for, but he cannot throw outside. But Jake, let's move on to your final game. So my final game and kind of both of our final games are, would you consider our two final games like the back burners for the playoffs? Yes. Okay. I would agree with that. So my final game is the Pittsburgh Steelers versus versus the Buffalo Bills. The Bills played good these last five games. They went 5-0. and oh. There was a lot of mm, oopsies and fuck-ups during those five games, though, on offense and defense. So it's like, okay, you won five games, but only because you have a superhuman at quarterback, but your superhuman quarterback is still fucking up. You fuck up in the playoffs, even if it's going against the Steelers. Um, you could be a one and done, but I think with the injuries that the Steelers have, especially having TJ Watt out with a grade two MCL sprain, uh, Bill should handily beat the Steelers, but it's the playoffs. We've seen the number seven or number six seat go on runs and say, fuck y'all. We're going to go to the Super Bowl or at least a conference championship. Do I think the Steelers have that type of firepower? Hell no. They do not have the quarterback. They got a good running game, a decent enough O-line, and a good defense. But their good defense is down their best player. And they have a suspect secondary, which, I mean, Gabe Davis is probably out, or he's going to be questionable at best. Okay, you have Khalil Shakir, who's stepped up and played amazing. You still have Stephon Diggs, who's still a top five, top seven top receiver. You got a damn good rookie tight end. Um, and the Steelers' linebacking core is also absolute shit. So you have a lot of ways to hurt this Steelers team. And, I mean, the Bills' run D isn't great, but they should be able to handle Warren and Najee enough to at least win the game. Yeah, and Jake, I think this is going to be a game that is going to be ugly. It's going to be just kind of nasty as a whole. It's not going to be a game that I look at and say, 
wow, this was a great game. I think this could be either one of two things, Jake. A massive blowout or a close, gritty game that Buffalo still wins, but Mike Tomlin and the Steelers cover because Mike Tomlin as a underdog betting wise is damn near undefeated. He somehow always seems to cover and it's been documented for like the last 10, 12 years or something that he is like a 70% cover coach and the bills are favored by nine and a half. I would probably take the Steelers and the points if I was betting it, but Jake, I do think that we've noticed something with Mason Rudolph that Kenny Pickett wasn't doing. You notice George Pickens is getting the ball more. And yeah, they're actually throwing deep down the field. Yeah, and, you know, good things are happening. Who knew you were able to win two games? You finished with a three-game win streak, and two of those games, Jake, they scored 30. Who'd have thought? Now... For Buffalo, though, Jake, I'm going to sum this up quickly. The Bills just need to not turn the ball over, and Josh Allen needs to play, you know, he he just needs to play a B game for him. Maybe 250 yards, contribute another 30 yards. If he can have three total touchdowns, I think the Bills win this game. But I think if you really want to seal this game up, get James Cook the ball and especially get James Cook the ball through the air because we've seen that that is a different beast. But Jake, moving on to my final game and that is the Monday night game, the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Buccaneers. And Jake, we don't have a full did not play will not play anything like that because it is a Monday game but it is concerning Jake did not practice Reed Blankenship AJ Brown and Sidney Brown all three of those players you're going to want them and I think Jake what I also worry about for Philadelphia they have a weakness that cannot be hidden their secondary is trash linebacker two linebacker two and when you have two dynamic receivers coming in, in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, this defense can be had over the top. If the Buccaneers win this game, I think Mike Evans is going to have a monster game. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes for a buck 50 and two touchdowns. I think, Jake, we've seen Baker Mayfield at his best of his entire career. But we've also seen Rashad White be a very, very capable runner. And I think with that, if we see a little bit of balance between the run and the pass from Tampa and open up that play action game, which we know that Baker Mayfield can execute very well, I think that it's going to be very hard for the Eagles to win. And if you're the Eagles, you've lost five of your last six. You were 10-1 and one at one point, and you had a chance to seal up the number one seed against the 49ers, and then you get crushed. And then you had a chance to seal up the division against the Cowboys the next week, and you get crushed. 
Jake, if you're the Eagles, this is all about heart. And this is about the players. This is not about the coach. I think that if you're Jalen Hurts, if you're A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Jalen Carter, if you're those players, you're trying to win this for you. You're not trying to win it for your coach. Jake, Philadelphia is favored by three as road favorites. I'd take the Bucks and the points if I was betting this. What do you think? I agree with you. I think with how suspect the Eagles have been, and obviously the Buccaneers haven't had a great running game, but Rashad White has been fantastic when he's gotten opportunities, and he's a hell of a receiving back. You're down most of your safeties. If not, they're going to be on half a leg. Sidney Brown's out for the year with an ACL injury. So because of that, you really don't have anybody that can cover him in the passing game. And I don't trust James Bradbury and pretty much anybody, even big play slay. I don't trust any of those guys against Mike Evans, Chris Godwin and Kate Auden. He's not a top 10 tight end, but he's definitely a pretty good tight end. Him and Baker have a good rapport. So it's like, you have weapons that you can't really cover. And the fact that they actually made the fucking pencil pusher their defensive coordinator. Matt Patricia, for those who you don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, Sean Desai wasn't doing fantastic. But... I think he'd be doing better than Patricia has this last fucking month. So I don't know what the hell they were thinking, changing to him of all defensive court out of everybody in their staff, changing to him to be the defensive coordinator, especially when jobs could be on the line. Like we talked about earlier and you, you could be one and done in the playoffs. And if you would have told me last year the Eagles would be one and done in the playoffs against the Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield, I would have said, the fuck are you smoking or what the fuck are you drinking? Because I would not have said that. I would have said Hurts is going to be close to an MVP year again. Sweat or DeAndre Swift is going to be pretty good for him. Their defense has a lot of caliber, a lot of young caliber blue chip players. And... The opposite happened. They have young, great players. But age has hit their defense like a fucking sack of bricks, especially their secondary. Their linebacking core has been decimated with injury, and nobody can stay healthy on the defense. So it's like, okay, this is going to be a shit show. The one aspect that might save the Eagles is the guards for... The Buccaneers aren't that great. The tackles are great for the Buccaneers. So I'm not worried about outside pressure. I'm worried about Carter and Cox just wrecking shit. That is the one thing you have to look forward to as an Eagles fan. And that is the only thing you can. And AJ Brown's injury and Jalen Hurts' injury, that could affect things. So Jalen was a full go in practice. Okay. But yeah, Jake. I do think that Matt Patricia 
taking over is a bit of a yikes. Especially since Jake beginning of the season, how about eleven weeks into the season when they were ten and one? No one would have believed that. But Jake, I, I want to get your picks real quick for these six games. Now, last week for the final week of the regular season, you went four and one. I went three and two. Curious how we're gonna do throughout the playoffs. Give me your picks. I'm going with the Texans barely beating the Browns, the Chiefs handling the Dolphins in Arrowhead, the Bills beating the Steelers. I'm going to say my Packers almost beat the Cowboys, but they'll lose because of a shootout. So Cowboys over the Packers. I'm picking the Rams over the Lions and the Buccaneers over the Eagles. All righty. Now, Jake, I am also going to take the Texans over the Browns. I, Like I said, I believe I have the better quarterback, and I do think that the turnovers that we've seen from Joe Flacco end up becoming too much. I am going to take the Chiefs barely over the Dolphins. I just think that the injuries catch up to them. I am going to take your Packers to upset the Cowboys. I think that if it comes down to a clock management decision, I trust Matt LaFleur over Mike McCarthy, and I think your youthful receivers are going to be able to torch this Cowboys defense that I just don't fully trust. I will take the Lions over the Rams. I just think that the Lions as a whole are a better team. I will take the Bills over the Steelers. And I will take the Buccaneers to beat the Eagles. I just don't think the Eagles are... I don't think it's their year. But that is going to do it for this extra long episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. You can check us out on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow so you never miss an episode. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.